You're listening to the Joy Junkie Show podcast, episode 413. You can find information on anything referenced in this episode at thejoyjunkie.com slash 413. You're listening to the Joy Junkie Show, your source for getting your shit together in love and life. Wouldn't it suck if I really talk like that? Without further ado, here's your host, life coach, speaker, all-around badass, Amy E. Smith. Hey, hey, audience, Amy here. I'm excited to connect with all of you. We are kicking off a new series, a new section of podcasts that are going to be about belief in self. And I could not be more thrilled to bring you this episode where we are going to be discussing self-belief and a very specific tool that can help you start to get out of your own goddamn way. So nobody is better at this than the one, the only Mel Robbins. So in a minute, I am going to give Mel a call. Hopefully she picks up and we'll be able to chat with her a little bit about a specific tool that she calls the high five habit. And let me tell you a little bit about her if you're not familiar with who she is. She's so incredible. She is a personal development and transformational expert an international best-selling author. She had a book called The Five-Second Rule that became a complete global phenomenon. And now she has her brand new book, which is launching, depending on when you're listening to this, it launches September 28th, 2021. And she's had four best-selling audiobooks, one uh, number one podcast on Audible, and tons of signature online courses and worked it worked truly with millions and millions of students and readers and listeners all across the world she really is known for her groundbreaking work on behavioral change and has had her work translated into 36 different languages it's been used from everything from healthcare professionals to veterans organizations and she really is also just one hell of a fucking good time. So I am thrilled to have her hanging out with us on the show, kicking off this mini series on believing in self. And I will say too, if you find yourself resonating with the stuff that we've talked about, first of all, you definitely want to make sure you pick up her book. And if you want a deeper dive and you know that shit has got to change, please go check out thejoyjunkie.com slash workshop. That is a completely complimentary map Masterclass that I've put together for you, an additional deep dive where you can start excavating why is it that I don't believe in myself that much, right? <laughs> what has been getting in my way? I mean, I read all these books, I listen to these podcasts, why is it not sticking? Well, I talk about that in that free complimentary workshop. So be sure to check that out. And then you'll see an opportunity at the very end of that to book a call with a member of my team if you're interested in learning more about my Deep Down and Dirty program, which is a complete personal growth immersion process. It lasts almost four months, completely transformational. But start with the workshop. That'll give you a real great compass and baseline of the work that I do in Deep Down and Dirty. And then if you're ready to take the next step, book a call with a member of my team. So without further ado, let me dial up the one and only Mel Robbins. Hey, Amy, what's up? <laughs> Mel, hey, how are you? Well, I'm good. I'm sitting here picking the chocolate out of my teeth because at about this time okay. every day, I eat one of those Justin cashew butter uh, buttercup things. <laughs> and I'm a little concerned because I, I, I have chocolate all over my teeth. I need a piece of floss, but that's what's going on. What's going on with you? Well, I have to tell you, my husband calls that shit too because I have a thing with <laughs> with with uh with chocolate. And so he's like, Hey, what's up? Shit tooth. So 
well, I'm calling you because I'm wondering if you have a handful of minutes. I'm over here with the audience. We've been talking about uh, your your latest book and believing in self and all of that. And I would love to just run a couple of things by you've got a few minutes. Absolutely. For you? Of for course. Me? In the audience? <laughs> yes. Let's go. All right. So let's, let's start off on somewhat of a macabre focus. Okay. You sent over to me a handful of stories that you like to talk about. And I don't think I've ever heard this one, but how your dead (laughs) father-in-law. Okay. Because, okay. I've, I have messages from my dead dad from beyond the grave. So I feel you on this. So how your dead father-in-law convinced you to move your entire family to a new state after he came through a psychic medium on your talk show. Tell me all the things. This is a crazy story. And in order for you get, to get the full scale of this story, I got to tell you the backstory. So here I am. I'm in my dream job. I had as a little girl, I would get home from uh, elementary school in Western Michigan and my mom would be tuned into the station in Chicago WGN uh, that we could get mm-hmm. and Oprah and Donahue would be on. And I always thought that would be the coolest thing in the world to have a job where you get to talk to people all day about their lives. And so lo and behold, I turned 50 years old. I am hosting a daytime talk show with Sony Pictures. We're filming it at CBS Broadcast Center. And that whole year I'd been commuting from Boston, where we raised our kids, down to New York. I'd be down there during the week, and then I would head home on the weekends. And so what was going on in the backdrop of my life during season one is our son was finishing up the eighth grade and he needed to go to high school. And for a number of reasons, the public high school where our daughters went was just it was just not a fit. Um, Okay. he had struggled profoundly with dyslexia. He is not a big sports kid. And as his older sister so lovingly said, dude, they're going to eat you alive. You can't go to that school like that's not the school for you. You're too cool for that. So um, he had already been to a school to help with the dyslexia and that school ended in eighth grade. And so I said to our son, you can choose any high school you want to go to. Now, never in a million years did I think he would choose a school outside of the Boston area. (laughs) All right. He is also not a kid because he got bullied as a summer camp that would ever go to a prep school sleep away. And I didn't want him to anyway, because I don't want to miss out on his high school. All of a sudden he starts saying, I want to go to high school in Southern Vermont. And there's this great public high school in Southern Vermont, like just a phenomenal school. And we know about the school because it happens to be in the town in Southern Vermont, Manchester, Vermont, where my in-laws have had a home for a long time. My husband grew up racing for Stratton Mountain. It's a big part of their family. And, you know, I was like, Vermont? I'm sorry. First of all, that's where people go to retire. Secondly, I don't know if you've noticed this, but we live in Boston and I have a talk show in New York. And if you're going to go to any state, why not look in New York City? He's not a city kid. No way. And so we literally had a family throwdown for several months about this topic. And it finally culminated. Okay, wait, 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 wait. Did he say anything like, mom, you said, yes, you said any. Yes, yes, yes. (laughs) Okay. And so it finally literally came to a throwdown in the front hallway of our house, just a couple feet from me, where we are all sitting on the floor, Chris, myself and Oakley. I'm crying. He's crying. Chris is upset where I'm going. Chris, when your dad got a job promotion that took him to London, you and your mother did not move to Vermont. You moved Mm -hmm. with your father. Like, I feel like you two are abandoning me. I know that you're unhappy, dude, but can't you find a freaking high school in Boston? Like, come on. Yeah. So they finally like, we're like, you're right. We can see how you would feel that way. I will not go to high school in Vermont. Okay. And that of course made me feel like a shitty mom, Mm -hmm. you know, because you then get what you want. And then you're like, why couldn't you just see that all along? Why'd I have to fight you and now feel like a jerk for now jamming this down your throat? And you know, the school in Southern Vermont is like crazy cool. So he starts begrudgingly looking at high schools around here. So now it's January of 2020 and COVID has not shut the world down yet. 
it is late January. He has applied to several schools in the Boston area. We're kind of coming up to the zone where he's going to have to go in for interviews. And all of a sudden they book this psychic medium on our talk show. You know, this was not the kind of psychic medium that was going to get an audience list because the dirty little secret about daytime talk shows is that unless you're Ellen, you're basically paying people to sit in those seats. You know, you're, right. you're, you're busing in church groups that we don't have an audience list. Like half the, half the folks there are coming for the pizza in the middle of the day and staying for the second <laughs> show. So they cannot be in the rain outside. That's just is what it is. So it's not like anything was rigged because we didn't even have the means to do that. And so right. this woman had been on Oprah a bunch, very, very highly regard. I can't remember her name, but what ends up happening is, you know, the first segment, I asked her, you know, how did you learn how to speak to people who have died? And she said she was electrocuted and in an accident when she was a little girl. And when she came to at the end of her hospital bed were her dead relatives. And wow. ever since then, she has been able to not only see and feel their presence, but she can communicate with them. And I turn her, I'm like, so are, are there dead people here in the studio? And she's like, oh yeah, everybody has at least one with them. And the second I start talking to people, more going to show up. It's going to get really crowded. I'm like, you're kidding. And I love this kind of stuff. I believe in Same. this kind of stuff. I love it. So mm -hmm. the first reading is off the hook, off the freaking hook. She literally stands up and walks to one section and asks four women in the second row to stand up all together. I didn't even know they had come together. And she looks at the first woman and she says, does your mother know you're pregnant yet? <gasps> that was her reaction to. And then Shit. she said, because her mother was with her, which I also didn't know. Oh, no. Then she said, now you've lost two babies, right? And the woman starts to cry. Yeah. And she says, the daughter that you lost is here. And wow. she wants you to know that she's been watching over you and you're going to be OK. And she is now going to pass over. But the son that you lost, now she starts like crying. He's going to stay because he's connected to the son you're carrying. Whoa. Did she know that she was having a son yet? She had oh, found shit. out she was pregnant Surprise. like two or three days before. Wow. And sure enough, she called our producers about three weeks later. It's a boy. Wow. That was the first freaking reading. And from there, it just went like. Pew. So near the okay, end okay. of the. Okay. So what are you thinking? What are you thinking right now? Are, I'm thinking, like, this as, is so cool. Oh, my God. Who's she got to read that? I'm so But you're excited. not thinking it's going to be you. Oh, no. I don't think she's going to talk to me at all. I've had experiences <laughs> where I've had people come to me or I've had a friend of mine that took his or that died by suicide, rather. Or yeah. I should say hopelessness um, yeah. and depression uh, came to me at a... Um, a car, like a, a table rocking ceremony, like there's a, mm -hmm. and so a channeling thing that was incredibly amazing. So anyway, so I am very open to this. And so near the end of the show, she turns to me and suddenly says, Mel, there's somebody behind you that is insistent on talking to you. Are you open to speaking to them? I'm like, absolutely. And she says, well, it's, um, a man and he's in a military uniform and he's a very decorated pilot in the air force. And I kind of cock my head and I'm like, I'm not related to anybody in the air force. And she goes, do you have any friends? And I'm like, Nope. And then she said, I actually think you're related to this guy. And I'm like, no, 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 definitely not. My grandfather was in the Navy, um, Frank Schneeberger, but he was not a pilot in the air force. And she said, does the letter K mean anything to you? And I said, Nope, not really. And she said, how about the name Ken? And I said, well, yeah, that's what we call our daughter. Her name is Kendall. She's named after her father-in-law. His name was Kenneth, but they called him Ken. And she said, could it be Ken? And I said, absolutely not. My father-in-law died 11 years ago. He was not in the Air Force. He was not a pilot. He ran an advertising agency. And she goes, okay. are you sure it's not him because he's getting agitated? I think he's saying that he wants you to verify this. And I'm like, I don't need to verify this. Like, I know the man. Like, I, I, I would have known if he was in the military. He was not in the military. He ran an advertising agency. Now, meanwhile, they're calling my husband, Christopher, in the control room. And 
all of a sudden in my ear, I hear your father-in-law was in the Air Force Reserves in college. It had always been a dream of his to be a pilot. Oh, wow. He couldn't pass the pilot's exam because they discovered he was colorblind. This is something you cannot Google, by the way. Yeah, yeah. This is something that in knowing the man for nearly, boy, like 18 years, I never knew this. So now I know my dead father-in-law, Ken Robbins, is standing right behind me at the talk show. I can feel him. And she says, he has come here because I guess he has a lot of grandkids. And I'm like, yep. And she said, and is your son the youngest? And I'm like, "Mm mm-hmm. And she said, well, she goes, I don't know what this means, but maybe you'll know what this means. I think he says a nickname. There's like a nickname. And then she goes, no, 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 it's a school. There's a school. There's something going on at a school. Like maybe his friends are calling him something or friends at school, something about a school. Something's going on at a school. No way. You don't like it. (laughs) He has come here to tell you that you must trust your son. Whoa. It gets even crazier. So now I'm basically levitating on my own talk show in front of a live audience. I don't know that I could ever wear those pants again because I basically defecated and then it's just <laughs> happening. And then I'm like, motherfucker, this fucking guy comes to my talk show with a fact I can't Google. So I know it's him. Of course he does. And he's telling me, yeah, I got to fucking move to Vermont. So then I like walk off the talk show. I call my husband and I'm like, that's it. Like, we got to do this. And he said, you're not going to believe this. <laughs> no. I said, now what? He said, my mother called yesterday. I said, yeah. And he said, I guess a year ago, because she's been a widow for 11 years, I guess a year ago, she wrote a letter to the owner of a townhome in a little community in the valley that all of her girlfriends live in, asking if they ever wanted to sell the unit, she would like to buy it. Well, apparently they wrote back last week. She put in an offer. It's been accepted. And she called me yesterday to ask if we wanted to build the house that mom and dad built or wanted to buy the house that mom and dad built. Whoa. That Ken designed. Wow. And he said, I told her no, because we were staying in Boston. And I said, call her back and tell her yes. We'll buy the house they built and we will move to Southern Vermont. And I'll tell you, like, it makes me just. Our son. Has never been happier. Mm. You don't know how unhappy somebody is or how lonely they are. Mm -hmm. Until you see them happy again. Yeah. It is the single best thing we ever could have done now. Doesn't mean it's been easy. Uh, I'm, you know, apparently, obviously, since I'm sitting here in our Boston home <laughs> working <laughs> and they're up in Vermont, but um, it's been extraordinary. And that's the story of how my dead father in law, and, and it's the last chapter in the book. And it's sort of this whole, it ties this whole theme together that I know you, you believe in too. Mm-hmm. And that is that your life is trying to get you to pay attention. That's right. That there are things that are meant for you. Mm-hmm. And I think that we all can sit in the present moment and we can look backwards and we can trace every experience of our lives, the painful ones, the traumatic ones, the abusive ones, the amazing ones. And we can see how they are dots on the map of our lives mm-hmm. and we can see how they connect to this moment and how all of those things have made you you and all of those things have prepared you in some way for this moment. And I think that there is extraordinary beauty and power and grace and ease in being able to live your life in a way that you can sit in this moment, no matter how challenging or terrifying or exhilarating or amazing it is, and know that it too is just a dot on the map of your life. And it too will come and it will go. And it too 
is in its own way preparing you for something extraordinary that hasn't happened yet. Wow. What a story. That's so, it's so fascinating to me because I've, I've had a lot of communication with my father who was, who passed about 14 years ago. And it's, it, it's interesting because it reminds me, I, one of the mediums who I talked to, I had kind of said like, so what is he doing all day? And she's like, he's extremely busy. (laughs) And I figured, I'm like, well, that makes a lot of sense. (laughs) But there was a lot of other stuff that, again, confirmed that I knew that it was him and all of that. But I think that's what he was doing was sharing messages like that, like similar to what you received. Like sometimes Mm. you just need those messages. And to your point about genuinely taking action, I know that's a huge piece of, of your work and what you share, you know, you can sit there and fight it all you want, you know, and you can, and you can be pissed off. Like you can totally be pissed off that it's the harder choice to make. Right. But I oftentimes will say that the universe can't really play a bigger game than you do. You know, if you Mm. don't play that fucking game and actually take the action, five, four, three, two, one, go, uh, you're just going to get more of the same, right? Keep doing what you're doing. You get more of the same. So it's true. It's true. And, you know, I think it's that moment though, where you're kind of standing on the edge of the cliff and thinking about jumping. That's the scarier part. That's right. Now it's, it is amazing that in almost every instance of your life, anybody that jumps, whether it's a leap of faith to move to Vermont or a leap of faith to quit your job or a leap of faith to believe that some dead person's talking to you or a leap of faith to Mm -hmm. uh, commit to somebody or whatever, or to end a relationship, that those are the most exhilarating moments of your life. Mm -hmm. And, um, it's in those moments that you learn the most about yourself and that um, everything changes because you're placing a bet on yourself. Yeah, completely, completely. So I was super intrigued by a little note that you sent over that said, ask me about the reason I'm probably jealous of you. So I thought, fuck <laughs> yes, tell me, <laughs> let, let me hear it. Let me hear it. In the high five habit, I write a lot about jealousy Mm. and I write about the various normal emotional or mental states that keep you stuck or keep you from living what I deem to be your birthright, which is a high five life. And that's a life that you've created that you want to wake up and high five and that's high five and you back and And so jealousy is something that I struggled with for a long time. And the reason why I'm jealous of you is because you have started and you have launched a successful podcast and you are clearly (laughs) having the time of your life doing it. And I am jealous of that because I want that. Mm -hmm. And I have spent eight years telling myself all the reasons why I can't do it. I don't have time. It's too late. Every podcast is already taken. There are 2 million of them. I'd just be a copycat. What do I have to offer? And the interesting thing about jealousy is that, you know, every one of us has been kind of trained to believe that jealousy is a bad thing. And I think jealousy, when you understand it, is extraordinary. Jealousy is just blocked desire. That's all that it is. And one fact about jealousy is you cannot be jealous of somebody or anything that you don't want authentically. Like I am not jealous of anybody who has a gorgeous penthouse apartment in New York City because I don't want one. Right, right. Good point. Yes. Right. It's true. It's true. And so, you know, of course, I'm talking about the kind of and like even with people, like if you're jealous of another person or you're jealous of somebody's relationship, jealousy is a directional signal. Mm -hmm. Jealousy is blocked desire. Jealousy is a feeling that's trying to make you wake the fuck up Mm -hmm. that there is something that is meant for you 
that you are not currently moving toward. And so if you're jealous of somebody's relationship, instead of being annoyed by their fall photo shoot on Instagram, unpack it. What is it about that relationship that you desire to create for yourself? Because once you give yourself permission to identify and to describe the thing you desire, now you can build a map and start moving toward it. And so, you know, with the podcast example, for years, when you don't understand jealousy, it just consumes you because mm -hmm. everywhere you look, you see people having what you want, whether it's a nicer kitchen or a bigger house or like for years, for example, when my husband and I were really struggling, I was so fucking jealous of every friend of mine who was married to like some dickhead finance guy that made a lot of money, <laughs> who had a nice kitchen or a better handbag or a brand new car. They could afford to take the kids on a vacation. And here's what's interesting. I, I didn't know what it meant. So I, of course, did the worst thing you could do. I would literally aim at my husband. Why can't you be more successful? Why can't you? When are we? Yeah. When the truth is what I've really realized about those things is that the jealousy that I felt toward other people that were successful or had nice things was about my desire and ambition to have nice things. Mm -hmm. And when you can get honest with yourself that you really are ambitious, you really do want to live in a nice house. You really would have a ball building your dream house. You really would love to be able to take your kids on a nice vacation. When you can give yourself permission and identify what you truly desire, right? and you take the lid off and you don't block it, then you got to do the next thing. You got to look in the mirror and realize it's the human being that's staring back at you in the mirror. It's their responsibility, mm -hmm. not your partners, not your parents, not your friends. It is your responsibility to do the work to have what you desire. And it's so much easier though, right? It's so much easier to stand outside of yourself and blame them and pick them apart and go, well, they, she must've just got that because of her connections, or I wish yeah. I was born, you know, and that nails you and kind of cements you into this permanent state of victimhood. And here's the thing. She might've gotten it because of her connections. So what? She might have be ahead of you because of privilege. She might have her whole life paid for by her partner. That's true. That has nothing to do with your desire to have something that feel like there's something in it. And it might not even be the podcast. Like there's a, here's another interesting story. I remember when I was a lawyer, I used to be wildly jealous of this woman that I didn't even know that had this extraordinary bakery near where we live. All right. And I was so jealous. I thought, how cool would it be? I mean, how cool would it be to be one of those like super cool people that everything that you touch is like a photo shoot and you make the most beautiful baked goods and everything's displayed in something and you have the old general store, the gorgeous little brick building on the court. Like everybody has that dream bakery, right? That's like the amazing thing and everything looks incredible. And, da, 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 da. and so I love that kind of stuff. And so... I was so jealous of this woman. I'd go in there. She'd be in her linen apron and her clogs, and I'd be schlepping to the commuter rail to get on a train to go be a lawyer, which I didn't want to do anymore. So I decided, well, what if I worked there on a weekend? Oh, what if I explored what would it be like to own a bakery? Here's what I immediately, it took me about three hours to have the breakthrough I needed. Yep. After three hours of pouring coffee and uh, wiping up spills and restuffing the napkin container and wiping down tables. And, you know, I'd been a waitress for a long time in, in high school and college, so I knew this, but I was so consumed with owning a bakery that I thought, OK, and smelling like a carrot cake muffin. It hit <laughs> me. I am not actually jealous of the woman owning the bakery. What I desire is the flexibility and the income in my life so that I could stop at a bakery like this mm -hmm. every morning. Mm. And I had the flexibility to sit there for an hour and have a meeting that I could build the kind of life that included a bakery like that in my life. Isn't that cool? 
And now you can very simply go to Bath and Body Works and get something so you smell like a baked good <laughs> if needed. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. But yeah, I completely, completely agree with you about this. And this is something that I talk about a lot on the show is that emotions are just messaging, you know? Mm -hmm. And so oftentimes if we're experiencing an emotion that's, it's uncomfortable, like jealousy or sadness or overwhelm or embarrassment, we typically tend to tie it to our self-worth. So Mm -hmm. jealousy is completely in that avenue where it's like, I'm jealous of that person. That must mean... I'm not enough. I'm not worthy. I'm not valuable. Instead of looking at it, to your point, as a message of a core desire, something that is is unrealized, right? And then your perspective totally changes about what action to take. Totally. Totally. Because it becomes almost like a detour, like when MapQuest or Waze or Google Maps is like, traffic, let's go this way. That's all that it is. It's life waving a flag going, move in this direction. Exactly. Pay attention to this. That's it. It's, I mean, it's the equivalent of physical pain, right? Like I've used the example, I have issues with my knees and what good would it do if my knees were sharing pain with me and I got mad at them? Like, why can't you, why can't you do the workout the way you used to? Why, so why are you, no, I go, oh, hey, me, I hear that you're telling me that there's a problem, there's messaging. Now we need to tend to that pain. And I think emotional pain is the same. It's going, totally. hey, bitch, pay attention. Like we, we need, we need to focus over here. So, totally. all right. So, so switching gears a little bit, because I know you and I have the same opinion about this and I cannot wait hmm. to hear you talk about this. I know that you believe that most most mantras are bullshit. And there's a scientific backing behind that. And we've talked about that a lot on the show. So I'm I'm really curious to hear your explanation of why. Well, most mantras are bullshit because you pick a mantra you don't believe. Yep. You know, if you've spent the last 20 years hating your body, beating yourself up every time you try to pull on a pair of jeans, or hiding in the back of every photo that is ever taken with a group. Mm-hmm. There is no way, even though you should love your body, there's no way that a mantra, I love my body, my body's strong. You're, it's true that your body's strong, but your actions have demonstrated you actually hate it. So when you stand in front of a mirror and you practice a positive mantra that you do not believe, Like, let's take my husband, for example. My husband was in the restaurant business. For those of you that know the story about the five second rule, this is when the five second rule got created. And he and his business partner worked for seven years in that business. And um, ultimately, it did not return the investment for the investors. And of the remaining units that were open when they left the business and sold it, you know, for a song to the next investor. They, you know, it was interesting because my my husband's business partner, who's one of our best friends, has a very high five attitude. He literally could take the seven years experience and objectively look at it and say, we worked our tail off. I'm super proud of what we did. The restaurant business is so hard. We uh, worked, you know, we minimized the risk as much as we could. Did we return the best investment? No. But did we do absolutely everything that we could? in order to make this successful? Yes. And I'm proud of that. And that's how he left the business. My husband left the business a shell of himself. Hmm. He could not forgive himself for losing people's money, including $800,000 of our own, Hmm. which we didn't have. He felt that the business was a failure. Therefore, he Mm -hmm. was a failure. Yep. And, you know, the thing about marrying what happened with your identity Mm -hmm. is it becomes next to impossible when you believe that you are a failure and you have years of evidence that you have now stacked conveniently in a way to go see see, and then I did this, and then I did that. If you were to stand in front of a mirror and try to have a mantra that's like, 
uh, I'm awesome. I love myself. I always brain's like, yeah, your brain's going to be like, motherfucker. No, you don't. No, you don't. (laughs) I I, I have to listen to you all day. I've seen the shit that you've done. You are a (laughs) failure, motherfucker. That like your brain literally is like, fuck off. We don't believe that. So don't tell me that shit. And so one of the things that I say and write about in this book is that that's why mantras fail you because you pick something that you don't believe. And so a meaningful mantra, I realize I should have probably called it a pathetic mantra, works. You can stand in front of a mirror and see evidence of failure and go, but I tried my best. Mm-hmm. I did the best that I could. Um, I didn't mean to fail. I tried my best. That chips away at the I'm a failure. That's right. You could say, if you don't like your body, you could say, I deserve to feel happy. Mm-hmm. I deserve to feel healthy. I deserve to be kind to myself. That's something you could believe. And so when you start to pick something that's believable, it allows your brain to absorb it. And so that's the only way that it works. And there's other science around how if you really want to make it stick, you've got to bump into the mantra in unexpected places. There's a reason why gyms have on the walls you're strong, you're amazing, you're this, because the mantra is appearing in a moment where you're doing the things that match the mantra. Right. You know, one of the interesting things about this high five habit, which I think is one of the reasons why it is so powerful, is that first of all, your brain and your nervous system are pre-programmed to have the new positive encoding happen. And you don't have to say a thing to yourself. Mm -hmm. You don't have to think anything Hmm. when you practice it every day. The programming that's already in your brain associated with high-fiving other people, it's already there. So your brain does all the work for you. It'll interrupt the critic and it will reprogram a completely different soundtrack one morning at a time. I love that. I love that because the, the, I'm a hypnotherapist as well. So I know a lot. You know, about... I did hypnotherapy when I had my second daughter. Did you? To like I hypnobirthing? Did. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so that that's exactly right. Like the way that the, the critical factor of the mind works is like, nope, nope. That's not congruent with what we already believe. Like if you already believe that you suck or you're not enough or you're not valuable, it doesn't matter how many times you say it you're already attached to the the subconscious piece. And something that I love about what you're talking about with the positive association, we already have a positive association with a high five. We don't have to train that. We don't have to work hard at it. It's the same way we have an association with a heart. Like that already symbolizes love. Oh, it's love. so true. It's a great example. You're right. You don't ever see a heart and go bastard. Like or you just like, don't do it. Like it's- Or go, what does that mean? We go, that's yeah. a symbol of love. Like that's a subconscious programming already. Same thing with high five. But yeah. I love what you're talking about with mantras because, and this is something I've been talking about a lot lately is it doesn't necessarily have to be overly positive. It just has to be empowering. So even yes. something like you're allowed to feel what you feel, you know, that is a statement that's, that is empowering. It's not super positive because you might be in the depths of fucking despair that day, but it's an empowering thing to tell yourself or it's transitional. If you, by the all means though, anybody listening, if you can stand in the mirror and say, I am enough, or I'm a badass motherfucker, like do it all day long. Sure. But if you get absolutely. the kickback, it doesn't mean you suck at personal development. It means your critical factor of the mind is kicking in and doing what it's supposed to do. <laughs> you know, totally. So we've, totally. we've, we've talked a lot about high five habit and I, I want you to talk about the impetus behind this, the story of the quote, oh, it's miserable incredible. moment. I, I think there was underwear involved. This is so foundational that when I unpack it layer by layer, it's pretty sad, profound, amazing. It's everything. You know, the origin story is very simple, relatable moment. It was April of 2020. 
And like everybody else, my life was upside down. And this is not a pandemic story. It's not a pandemic book. This is just a moment in my life where I woke up one morning and I was completely overwhelmed and defeated. I felt just the pressure of life. My kids were in breakdown. My business was in breakdown. I was stressed out. I didn't know how I was going to make payroll. I was worried about everybody else. And there was nobody who was worried about me. And I felt hopeless. I felt defeated. I felt overwhelmed, ill-equipped. And so I used the five-second rule and I counted five, four, three, two, one. And I got out of bed because I know better than to lay there. Yep. It's the worst place for my anxiety. And I think that's an important point because I know the research says that, you know, after 21 or 67 days or whatever, if you repeat behavior, it becomes a habit. I think that's true only if you like the thing you're doing. That's right. <laughs> yeah. I have had to use the five second rule for 13 years to get out of bed because I don't like getting out of bed. And so I five, four, three, two, one, get out of bed. And I always make my bed. And that morning I'm making it so I don't crawl back into it. And I start walking to the bathroom and I get to the bathroom and I'm brushing my teeth in my underwear. And all of a sudden I catch a glimpse of myself. And I think, oh my God, you look like hell. And the woman that I saw in the mirror looked exhausted. Her gray hair was coming in. She had dark circles under her eyes. Her neck was all saggy. One boobs hanging lower than the other. She just looked beat up by life. She looked worried and sad and overwhelmed. And, you know, it's interesting. I actually felt sad for the woman I saw in the mirror. And, you know, as soon as you start kind of picking your appearance apart, your whole mindset's going to keep going down the drain. And so, of course, then I'm like, why did I get up so late? And I start beating myself up. And Jesus, you only got eight minutes for the fucking Zoom call. And oh, my God, the dog's here. I haven't even walked the dog, like just berating myself. And here's the interesting thing, Amy. If you had walked into the bathroom that morning, I would have spun on a dime. I would have been able to be like, Amy, come on now. That's right. This sucks. And you're right. You do not deserve this. And this is a lot. But girl, if anybody, if anybody can handle this, it's you. Mm -hmm. So you lift your chin up, you get the fuck back out there. Come on now. Mm -hmm. And I would have been able to lift your spirit. But standing there in my own bathroom, in my underwear. I couldn't think of a thing to say. And to our point about mantras not working. I wouldn't have believed it anyway because of how I felt. And I don't know what came over me because as cheesy as it sounds, I literally just subconsciously lifted up my hand and gave the woman I saw in a mirror a high five because she looked like she needed one. Yeah. And here's the thing. Lightning didn't strike. Mm-hmm. It's not like it was like, oh, now everything's right. Oh. That's not what happened. Clouds parting. Yeah. No, no. The dog still needed to be walked. The problems were still there. I was still overwhelmed. But here's what happened. I felt this like little shift. I felt my shoulders drop. I felt my chin lift and I laughed. I laughed at how stupid the high five was, which broke my mood. And what shifted inside me is I felt just this little bit of acknowledgement from myself that, yeah, this blows. But the high five also acknowledged that get out there, go face this. Come on, get on with it. So it was the second morning, Amy, that the real shift happened because on the second morning, I woke up with the same overwhelm, the same defeated feeling, the same emotional exhaustion. Five, four, three, two, one. I get out of bed. I make my bed. I start walking to the bathroom. And that's when. I realized I was feeling something I had never experienced in my entire life. You know, when you go to meet a friend for a cup of coffee or tea or something, and you're really like this person. Yeah, for sure. How do you feel? 
Yeah. As you're about to walk into you're that. You're anticipating. You're getting excited. It's like when a vacation yeah. is on your calendar and you're like, oh my yeah. God, I can just get to Friday. Yeah. I felt that about seeing myself. Cool. I felt excited to see the human being, Mel Robbins. Mm -hmm. Now, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to be 53 this year. I have never experienced the feeling of being excited to see myself. Wow. I have been excited to see an outfit. Wow. I'm excited to see what a haircut looks like. Yeah. I've never been excited to see the person, the human being. Mm -hmm. And so as I walked into the bathroom, I, it was starting to strike me that this was something that was a little bit more profound. Yeah. And so I'm brushing my teeth and, you know, I want you to do this right after you brush your teeth, because as you know, and you talk about when you stack a new habit with an old one, it's easier for your brain to memorize it. It happens much more quickly. And plus, you know, you got to clean out the crap on your teeth and you got to clean out the crap on your mind, you, right? Especially if you've got shit tooth. <laughs> yeah. If you've got shit tooth. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And um, so as I stood there, it was this really odd moment. Because I realized that I have for 45 years, you know, little kids love themselves in the mirror. Little kids are like mm, when they see themselves completely. So I think right around when I was, I don't know, six, seven, eight. So about for 45 years, part of my morning routine has been to either ignore myself yeah. or to criticize and judge myself. Hmm. That is how I have started my day every day. And so standing there, I put the toothbrush down and I realize this is a weird moment. Like I'm actually here, but I'm also with this human being I see in this mirror, a human being who needs me, a human being who has been waiting for me to wake the fuck up mm -hmm. and see her and acknowledge her and give her the support and the kindness and the celebration and the encouragement that she needs mm -hmm. and that she deserves. She's trying hard. And so I asked myself this question. I said, well, what does she need today? How can I show up for the woman I see in the mirror today? And it's an interesting twist yep. because what happens for most of us is in that moment, we start to go on autopilot and drift into our day, which is all about what we're going to do for other people. And there's new research from Harvard that shows that even just less than a minute of setting an intention for how you're going to show up today as a leader changes your productivity and your focus and the impact you have on other people. Mm -hmm. And I'm here to tell you, if you actually steal that for yourself and you think about how you're going to show up for the person you see in the mirror, it changes your level of focus and your productivity and how you impact the relationship you have with yourself. And then when you go to raise your hand and seal this with a high five, there's a number of things that are going to happen. And I want to unpack this because this is where it gets to the heart of your work and it gets to the heart of what everybody is struggling with. And that is this. So first thing you should realize is it will feel weird. I want you to do this at least five days in a row mm -hmm. because that's how long it's going to take to push through the weirdness and the resistance you're likely going to feel. So the weirdness comes from what you've already talked about. You've explained it so eloquently around the brain circuitry. Mm -hmm. As a right-hander, I can write without any resistance or weirdness at all because it is a neuro you know, pattern that is in my mind that's already hardwired. Yep. If I were to lose this arm in an accident and I have to write with my left hand, I could do it, but it would feel weird. It's new. Sure. The brain is going to resist this. So you've never high-fived yourself. So your brain's going to resist it. It's new. Expect it. Sure. You're practicing something new. So that's number one. Number two, there's only one of two reactions people have. That's it. When they first do it, you will either raise your hand and high five yourself and you'll laugh out loud or you'll start bawling. And when you laugh and then start crying, it's a release because so many women in particular realize how long 
they've withheld that from themselves and how long they've yearned for it. It's like a coming home. The more likely experience, I doubt it's going to be from your audience, but the more likely experience is you will resist this. You'll roll your eyes. You'll think it's stupid. You'll stand there and you'll literally feel yourself resisting it. And we need to unpack this because it comes from three or four things that are so fucking sad. Mm -hmm. And it's why you're not fulfilled. And it's why you are stopping yourself. It is the source of everything. So the first place that the resistance comes from is when you stand in the bathroom before yourself in this moment, you're dragging your entire past with you. If you've been abused, if you have trauma, if you've had heartbreak, if you have had anything bad that's happened to you, you see all of that and it makes you see a person who is damaged or unworthy or unlovable. And all of this shit that you've survived is your evidence for that. And so you see a human being that based on that doesn't deserve a high five. Right. Or if you're human, you've done some pretty awful shit. (laughs) You've either lied or cheated on people or stolen or done drugs or like whatever it is that you've done that you deeply regret the source of your shame, which, by the way, you would forgive Amy or me for doing. Mm -hmm. But every morning. You drag that into the bathroom and you stand in judgment of yourself. You withhold the forgiveness that you need from yourself. That's what the resistance is. The other resistance, the other reason why we have resistance is because so many of us, especially women, have been trained that in order to be likable, you must comply. In order to be loved, you must act a certain way. You have literally decided that unless you are a certain number on a scale or your skin were lighter or darker or your hair were less kinky or more straight or you were taller or shorter or this or that or drove a different car or somebody loved you or that person didn't leave you, that if all that other stuff would happen, then and only then will you be worthy of that high five. But until that stuff outside you happens, you will stand here in judgment of yourself Mm -hmm. And so the resistance is that lifetime of bullshit that has separated you from your true power Mm -hmm. and from your most fundamental needs as a human. We have outsourced our need for love. We have outsourced our need to be validated. We have outsourced our need to be seen and to be felt and to be heard. And I am telling you right now that you start taking on this practice for yourself of being with yourself, of deciding what you need to do for yourself today, and then sealing it with this high five. What's amazing, and you've already explained this, is that you don't have to say anything because even if you're standing there with evidence of failure and fuck up, Mm -hmm. when you go to raise your hand, your brain is like, fuck you. I will have none of that failure shit right now because I see that high five and we only high five that we say, yep, I know as all I know. I know that life's been hard. And guess what? I still celebrate your ass. And guess what? It's amazing that despite all that, you're here and you're trying a little harder. You keep on going now because I got your back. Mm -hmm. That's what that high five means. And your brain does all the work. And even more, Dr. Daniel Amen, one of the world's leading experts on the brain, he and I spoke about this for hours. He geeked the fuck out. He literally goes, do you know why this works? Do you know why? And I'm like, no, dude, tell me why it doesn't work. That's why I'm talking to you. He says, (laughs) Mel. The reason why, if you practice this and you push past it and you make it part of your thing is number one, yes, yes, yes. All the positive programming associated with a high five marries to your your reflection. Boom. That's number one. Number two, holy shit. Every time somebody else has given you a high five, you have a drip of dopamine. Mm -hmm. That's why it feels so fucking good. Yeah. When you do it for yourself, you get a drip of dopamine. Mm -hmm. That's why you feel a little better and even more. The reason why you feel a little jolt of energy when you start doing this every morning is because your nervous system recognizes it as a sign of celebration. Just like when you wave a hand and wave at somebody, it feels good. Just like Mm -hmm. when you cross a finish line and raise your arms, it feels good. Just like when you raise your arms to hug somebody, it feels good. When you raise your arm to high five somebody, your nervous system's like, oh yeah, we know this, party on. 
That's why it works. You don't have to do shit. You can stand there with all your failure. And it's like an act of defiance. Fuck you, shame. Fuck you, failure. Fuck you, all those people that didn't bet on me. I got myself. I'm betting on myself. I'm forgiving myself. And this is what it communicates to you. And the physical act communicates it. So then your brain starts to go, whoa, 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 wait a minute. Wait a minute. Uh, We don't criticize that person. We cheer for this person. Here's the most fucking crazy part, Amy. So I've been practicing this for over a year. I don't actually need to high five myself anymore. Cool. You want to know why? Because it's already a new neural pathway. Yeah. I actually don't fucking criticize myself. Oh, nice. It has literally not only reset five decades of programming. Mm -hmm. It has created new neural pathways Mm -hmm. so that I see a person and this is not about arrogance. I just see a human being every morning who's trying. Yeah. I see somebody who just, you know, really wants to be seen and to be loved and to be supported. Yeah. I see somebody who's fucked up a lot and didn't mean to. Mm -hmm. And I'm able to really be with that person. And it's so important because you are the one person you spend your whole life with. True. 24 seven. And your relationship with yourself is the foundation of every relationship. If you don't love yourself, you will not let other people love you. If you're insecure with who you are, you will feel insecure in every relationship you have. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And this changes everything. Wow. Thank you so much for sharing that. I, uh, I completely understand too, you know, like if you're, if you're trying this, that Mel's suggesting, and I do so hope that you grab this book, that kickback can partly be like you were saying, that's why you need to give it at least five days that kickback can partly be that old programming, that old neural pathway that knows how to talk shit to yourself, that knows that you're disgusting or gross or not worthy or summation of all of your mistakes. But if you keep doing that, we can't, uh, we can't make high-fiving be a negative thing. Like it's already associated (laughs) as a positive thing. So it's going to like, that's already a part of our subconscious narrative that will win every single time. So I'm so excited about this quickly. I know you, you are going to have to run and obviously brush your teeth. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Do you smell my breath from there? (laughs) But tell people where they can get it. And I also know you're giving away like three huge bonuses and a bunch of awesome stuff. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, so first of all, thank you. Thank you for an amazing soul connected conversation. You are my type of person. And uh, please do not let this be a goodbye. Let this be a beginning. Um, Know that I'm high fiving you know that if you if I can ever do anything, you just I'm going to give you myself. Just text me. The second thing is, you know, if you can buy the book, buy the book. My intention with the book is not to give you something entertaining to read. The book is a vehicle to crack something open inside of you and to empower you. And you're going to want to highlight it and come back to it and pass it to friends. And it is everything I've ever done. The most profound thing I've ever created, the most important thing I've ever done. And I can say that even knowing that the five second rule has saved 111 people because they've used it to stop themselves from attempting suicide. Mm -hmm. I think that this will profoundly change your life. That said, I wanted to make sure that we had a lot of resources that were free. And so I created a five-day challenge that I would love to invite your audience to, to participate in. It's free. It'll happen 20 years from now, uh, if you're listening to this 20 years from now. And it's very simple. Go to high five. So H-I-G-H, the number five challenge. And I know you'll put a link in your show notes. Yep. You can get five days of coaching and tools from me. And more importantly, you get access. I've arranged for you to get access to the world's leading personal development app called Growth Day for free. It's normally 300 bucks a year. 
Awesome. And what's important about that is there will be hundreds of thousands of people in this challenge with you. And so if you feel alone, if you feel beaten down, if you feel energized, yes, it will work when you stand in front of the mirror and you need to Mm -hmm. and high five yourself on your own. But I've created this so that you have a platform to go to every single day where there will be hundreds of thousands of like-minded people that will also high five you and also cheer you on so that you know, as you are continuing down the road of reclaiming your power, of learning to love yourself, of finding the courage to turn toward what's meant for you, whether that is moving to Vermont (laughs) (laughs) or it's something else. Mm that you have the support and the tools and the coaching that you need. So you can buy the book anywhere. It's coming out in 22 languages. I did the nine hour audio book. You can buy that on audible. Um, And if you go to high five challenge, you will be taken care of. So Amy, thank you for your partnership on this. For sure. For sure. It's been such a pleasure. And uh, yeah, I definitely have some inspired action that I will reach out to you regarding some some literary works of my own. So oh, I would love to help you with that. Love, love, love. To yeah, help don't you with be surprised if I come and uh, knock on your door. So, <laughs> um, I, you know what? I'm going to tell you something. I would actually be offended if you didn't. Hey, the, well, this is going out. Everybody, you heard it here. Mel Robbins is in my corner. She's high fiving me. <laughs> you better believe it. I am. Yeah. I am. It's easy to high five really cool people. It's easy to high five everybody. Yeah. And so, yeah, I am in your corner and I am going to help you. And, you know, I do what I do because I'm out to make an impact. It's taken me five years to write the right book Mm -hmm. because, you know, a lot of people look at the title and be like, oh, okay, five second rule. Clearly she was trying to do the five thing. The truth is I've been trying to write a book for about three and a half years. And I think, and I know you believe this too, when an idea is ready to be born, yeah. It will be born. Yep. And this idea of the high five habit was not ready to be born mm-hmm. until April of 2020. Mm-hmm. And to me, this is so much bigger. And so if I can help you make a bigger impact, I am all fucking in woman. Nice. So I had to look down. I'm wearing a mantra bracelet that says your pace is perfect because oh my I have gosh, to, it's amazing. I have to remind myself of the same thing because I'm notoriously slow at things. And I have to remind myself like, you know what? Your pace is perfect. It'll be birthed as it needs to be birthed. So I needed to hear that, my friend. You need to reread chapter 12. Okay. Chapter 12 is the story of the failed five second rule book launch. Okay. <laughs> and the miraculous and the stress diarrhea that I had at Tom Bilyeu's house, the guy that at hosts Impact Theory, as my book launch was failing. And remember how I said this moment is just a moment, another dot that's leading you somewhere extraordinary. Yeah. When you give up your timeline, have your dreams because your dreams and your desires have a purpose. Their whole purpose of a dream is not to be achieved. A dream is meant to activate something inside you. A dream is meant to pull you through fear and self-doubt and into action and toward the things that are meant to you. The dream is like the carrot, Mm -hmm. but that's not the thing that you're going to bump into. There's something so much better and so much more extraordinary than you could ever imagine Mm. when you give up the timeline. What did you say about the pace? When you, your pace is perfect. Your pace is perfect. Yeah. When you say the pace is perfect, when you keep high five in yourself mm-hmm. every single morning, every step of the way, I promise you something extraordinary is coming for you. Awesome. Well, on that note, I will let you go forth and uh, spread more of your deliciousness. I couldn't thank you enough for dropping in. I was sharing with my audience that you were going to be on the show. They were freaking out. So you definitely have lots and lots of fans and you're touching so many people's lives. So I'll let you run, but obviously, you know, you might want to floss and stuff and, (laughs) (laughs) but thanks for picking up and sharing your genius with us. I will talk to you later. Woman, you bring me so much joy and you know, I'm a junkie for joy too. So (laughs) you freaking put me on speed dial and you call me anytime. And if I am not uh, in the middle of something crazy, you know, I'll pick up. I love you, Amy. 
All right. Love you. Bye. Well, I am so glad we caught her. She is such a force to be reckoned with, and I'm hoping that there were some really great tangible tips that you could take away from from this incredible conversation. We will be digging into this even further next week. Over the next couple of weeks, we're going to have somebody talk to us about the Enneagram and how that relates to believing in ourselves and the various numbers on the Enneagram and how... They are impacted by confidence and self-worth. I'm also going to be doing a podcast tour specifically around believing that you are lovable. And I'll tell you what that means, what the hell is a podcast tour. But if you are looking to manifest love or you want to genuinely believe that you are enough and worthy and lovable, you will not want to miss that. So stay tuned for the next couple of episodes. I think you'll really dig them. And as always, thank you so much for hanging out. Five-star reviews would be so very much appreciated if you've gotten some benefit from the show. And I will see you around these parts next week. Here is to loving and living your most badass life. Bye.